Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, it's almost March, and for those of us in e-commerce and marketplace fraud prevention and payments acceptance as well, I feel like we often, most of us, take an annual pilgrimage to Las Vegas the first full week of March every year. I myself have been doing this since 2009. Not every year, because I missed a few in the middle there, but to say that this conference has made a giant impact in my career would be an understatement. And you know, I even worked for the organization for almost three years in the program management role. So it's fun to see some of the programs that I rolled out for this conference, as well as the year-round membership. Get to see them still being enjoyed and appreciated and all that. But I spoke at this conference in 2010 for the first time. I have gotten jobs as a result of being a part of the MRC. I have made lifelong friends. And I know that a lot of you are attending and Several people have asked me to provide some tips, right? Some pro tips on what to do and on what maybe how to take advantage of it. So I asked a few veterans and people who I know attend often for some of their takes. And I try to put a few together as well. Really, I think it's going to try to be an attendee's guide to making the most of a large fraud conference. Obviously, it's going to be MRC specific because that's the event that I know the most. And it can be really overwhelming. When I first went in 2009, there were just under 250 attendees. And to me, that was so overwhelming because I didn't know anyone. There are actually two people that are still in fraud that I consider my first fraud friends because the three of us were by ourselves and didn't know anyone. And so we started hanging out and I still keep in touch with them to this day. In fact, I was supposed to have a call with one of them a couple of weeks ago, but then their team almost made it into the Super Bowl and it was, didn't realize we were talking on the Sunday where the playoffs were happening. So I'm just remembering that I need to reach out to him. But if you're not attending this year, this might be a fun episode to listen to just to get ideas of what to think about for next year and see if this is something that you want to attend. And I'm making this for both merchants and vendors. I mean, you guys are going for two different reasons, so I can't just provide the same advice for both groups, but I did want to be inclusive. So there will be do's as well as don'ts, but not just don'ts, uh, at least for solution providers. I feel like some of you think that I only focus on the don'ts. Part of that is sometimes because that's what I hear the most. That's, you know, what merchants want to get off their chest. But I do know that there are several of you that are doing a lot of things right. And it shows you're standing out, you're selling. I mean, there's one person who myself, as well as a friend of mine, who is extremely picky and <laughs> really likes the fact that she's been labeled unapproachable by so many solution providers. There are only three salespeople that she likes, and I'm proud that I have introduced her to two of the three. And one of them just recently hit his almost like very close to his annual quota before the first full week of February. So for those people in sales who think it's impossible, it's not. It's just 
we can be a very picky people and we can look at details and see through things. So it can be harder, but I'm going to start with the merchant side first. I was going to mention that in addition to the MRC, well, that is the Super Bowl of fraud. I hear a lot of vendors call it that because they spend the most money there, but merchants too, it's by far the uh, largest conference with e-commerce and marketplace and fintech fraud fighters where we all gather. And uh, a couple of other events that I know that some of you are planning on attending. Marketplace Risk Summit in May. It's the 16th through the 18th in San Francisco. And these are all US focused. I just realized I know that the MRC has a European conference. I don't even know where it is this year, guys. I haven't. Is it or was it in Paris last year? I can't remember. I used to get to go to them. So I'd always know where they were. But now that I don't, I didn't even look. I apologize. But these tips will hopefully be helpful for you as well as There's a lot of similarities between the European and the Vegas conference. There's also some differences. I always enjoyed going to the European ones, not just because they were generally other than one year and really beautiful, nice places, but also because I learned a lot and got to meet some really cool people. In addition to Marketplace Risk, and I know that there's a Marketplace Risk event in London as well, I think in the fall, and it's looking like I'll be speaking at it. Um, I've been in, or they reached out to me, so I haven't finalized it, but I think that's happening. And it's a good event for any two-sided marketplace, new or old, new or established, I should say, to meet with your peers and learn from each other. NRF Protect, I went last year because although it's primarily focused on physical loss prevention and retail, they are trying to expand into online fraud. There weren't very many merchants that were there for the online part last year, but I know that they're trying and I know that there are a few more retailers that I know that will be speaking this year. So that's in Grapevine, Texas in June. And then Money 2020 is often mostly payments focused, but do have some risk topics. And it's a very large event. I think it's several thousand people. So for context, last year's Merchant Risk Council was 1700 and I didn't get to see everyone I wanted to, but it can be really hard. So here's where I'm going to start. And this is kind of, you know, what, as I said, like several listeners who will be attending, like, you know, some are veterans and others are the first time. It's your first time. Some of you I know are attending because you uh, heard about it through me last year on last year's podcast episode. So I'm excited to meet you. I will be speaking on Tuesday during lunchtime about the early results of the first annual fraudology benchmarking survey that Shoshana Marini joined me on a couple weeks ago to talk about. That is out now. So if I've sent you a LinkedIn message or if I haven't and you want to fill that out, please let me know. Very excited that we have several hundred people that have filled it out, but the more people that contribute to it, the more accurate it will be and the more it will reflect your team. And we really don't ask specific data because we know better, but I have heard from so many people more than I would ever expect who have reached out to me after they've filled out the survey and said that they're so excited to get the results. The first place you can get that is at MRC, but it is invite only. It's a lunch sponsored by Forder. They are also the sponsor of the Youth Fraudology Survey. So they invited me to come talk about that and share some of the early findings and things that have surprised us. And I haven't even gotten to see them yet, but uh, we'll be pulling them next week. So I'm really excited about that too. If you don't get to go to that event, I will be around and always enjoy meeting new people. So as I said, there are two different groups that attend the Merchant Council, and sometimes it's difficult because they have competing goals, not competing, just different goals and especially different priorities. So one is, you know, merchants and fintechs and marketplaces, you can put them in the buyer category and then vendors and solution providers and the sellers. And there's obviously people in the middle. 
I would consider myself in the middle there. I'm a merchant at heart and a former merchant, but other people would say I'm a solution provider, but I don't really sell or market myself at MRC. Well, I don't know. I probably should, but I also just see it as a really good time to network and geek out with a lot of people. So always happy to talk about engagements and working together and the packages and stuff, but I'm not actively selling. Whereas there's a lot of people that go there just for that. So kind of what I wrote down was in the past, So I have worked on two different conferences over 12 years, running the programming and the content and the speakers and all of that. And whenever we'd ask people what to rate the reasons why they came to the conference, this was usually the order. So for merchants or buyers, it was always education first and then peer collaboration and then networking, which is a little bit different, right? I think people see networking as the events at the after parties or talking to people about potential job opportunities. And then merchants also say that they want to meet with their, or they want or need to meet with their current providers for annual business reports. That's something that a lot of the existing fraud technology companies do is they'll bring a lot of account managers in addition to salespeople and they'll rent out or reserve a meeting space at the conference and have a lot of big meetings with current customers. So that takes up a lot of people's time. Some of the more senior leaders of the bigger companies barely even get to make it to any of the sessions because they're constantly pulled in meetings, either with their current providers or newer ones that they want to learn about. And then it always seemed to be either, you know, the last one or the second to last one was learning about new technology. So it is a priority. It's just that often they come first for education and to meet their peers and tech is at the bottom. Now that's not true for everyone. There are some of them that are looking for a new technology or just want to learn about it. And maybe they don't have a budget or they don't think they have a need, but they just want to know what's out there. Um, and so that's why, the, why they'll be stopping by your booth. And for vendors, I mean, generally those in sales or business development or even marketing, their main goal is to meet potential buyers and plant seeds and eventually sell. Some will network and education, I mean, are priorities, but often even if they're, it depends on the sales rep and I'll be getting to this, but you know, not as many go to network and go to the sessions just to learn and just to meet people often there's some kind of an emphasis of a sales opportunity. And I get it. That's your job, right? Like you're, you're paid to be there to meet people who could potentially need and use your services. And merchants are paid to go there primarily to learn and talk with their peers. So that doesn't mean that there's not crossover. Just, I think it's good to set that, those expectations. Um, it, I know it can be frustrating for people that have to sit in the booth all day. I only had to do that once at one conference that I would never go to again. But it was when I was working for um, a competing conference of MRC that actually is no longer as of this year. And they wanted, they got a free booth at some I don't know. It's a long story, but it was like a conference for infomercials. There were a lot. It was interesting people watching, but it was a booth to talk to people about coming to the conference. I don't think anyone ended up coming, but I can just tell you being in the booth for two days was exhausting. And so I do definitely have empathy for everyone that has to be in there. And especially if it's quiet and all of that, as I said, I'm going to try to give a few tips to both groups and then I'll read some of the tips from some veterans and what they said too. So the first thing I would say, if you're a merchant before MRC, identify what your goals are now. If it's content, if you're like, I really, there are so many of these sessions that I really want to attend, then go through the agenda. And actually they have an interactive agenda this year. I was actually just playing with it. It's quite interesting on the website and the app information should be coming out soon. I suggest labeling the sessions one and two. For me, number one is a must 
And number two is a want because you're not going to be able to go to every session. I have tried that and it's exhausting. And then you have dinners after, then you have happy hour, then you have dinners, then there's after parties. And obviously all of those are, you know, more or less optional, but it can just be exhausting to cram so much in your brain. So if you know already ahead of time, these are the ones I absolutely have to go to. And because I want to learn, I want to learn from those people. I want to learn this topic. Number two is more like, I would love to be there, but if I need to go take a nap or if I need to just go walk around or I don't know, go to the slot machines in the casino. I doubt that, but you know, whatever you need to do, right. Or, oh, I'm in this really good conversation with someone, whether it's in the expo hall or with a peer and I can miss that if I need to. So I think that's good to do ahead of time. If your main goal is peer collaboration, plan on attending the roundtables and the merchant only sessions and events. The roundtables are one of those things that I came up with and implemented when I was there. And they are really great because they do it by vertical The interesting thing is, though, this year they're doing it the very last day on Thursday afternoon. I always had it at the beginning so you could meet your peers ahead of time, but I'm not trying to be critical. It just surprised me because I think it's at a different time. But if you have a flight around that time, I would definitely suggest rescheduling it and pushing it back to later in the evening because getting the opportunity to meet the peers in your vertical, whether it's gaming or retail or, you know, travel, it's so important and you can really make connections for life. So I would recommend that for sure. Whether collaboration is your number one goal or not, I think those are critical. And I'm trying not to be biased because I thought of them, but I thought of them because it was what merchants wanted and what they were asking for. If your number one goal is networking, learn where the dinners and the parties are. It's not that hard. You can ask veterans. If you stop by enough booths, you'll probably get invited to a few. And some vendors go all out. I have been on helicopters. I know other people that have been to rock concerts, driven NASCAR cars, all kinds of crazy things. But I always just like the dinners or the happy hours where you can just meet with people, but everyone gets to pick what they want. It's just that you can't do it all because there are so many things at the same time. If you are a solution provider and selling is your number one goal, I wrote down, slow your roll. Know that every merchant is getting hundreds of auto emails and LinkedIn messages right now. Don't be offended if they can't reply. Plus they have a job to do before MRC. Some of them are doing their job while they're at MRC. You'll see plenty of people on their laptops and that's because their job never stops, right? Fraud doesn't sleep. So respect that. I've got plenty more tips on that as well as what to do and what can be effective in just a few minutes. Another thing that merchants can do ahead of time, whether you are going to this conference with the specific mission of, I need to meet every solution provider that provides ID document verification, or I need to meet every solution provider that provides an identity solution or a core fraud solution or payment processing, whatever that is. Or if it's just like, hmm, I want to learn about what's new, then I recommend looking at the exhibitor list. I believe that's going to be in the app because I don't think it's on the website. At least I couldn't find it quickly and ask, do your research, right? Go on their website, click around, try to figure out what they do. I know it's hard because a lot of them use the same language and say the same things, even if they are drastically different and don't even provide the same service, but do your best, right? Looking at the research and all of that and looking at what they provide. And sometimes it's helpful to look at what article or what topics they're writing blog posts about the most. Be cautious about believing all of the claims about their product and how they can solve the problem. But if they're continually writing about certain things, then that's probably where their expertise lies. 
Also ask your peers for suggestions, whether you, you know, know several now or when you're walking around and meeting other merchants, ask your peers, right? Who do you use for this or who do you suggest for that? My inbox has been blowing up with those types of emails this week and will be next week as well. And I generally go off of, you know, I'll name a couple off of what their customers say. And I try really hard not to be subjective. There are obviously a couple of companies that I think do a really good job, but they have to meet my three criteria, right? If I work with them. So they need to have good reputation with their customers, a good product, extra points for innovative and it solves a current problem, especially if it solves it in a different way than anyone else. And then the last one is that they have to have a good reputation with the industry. They have to not be overly aggressive salespeople. They have to not have a reputation of contacting someone's boss or someone else at the company if the fraud manager says no or not now. They need to be respectful of boundaries and they need to be helpful and contribute to the industry. But primarily it's, there are definitely uh, repeat offenders, I should say, where it's just continually, oh my gosh, the so-and-so guy he won't leave me alone. Or he called me six times in the last hour and left me the same voicemail over and over again, like he was reading a script. If you think I'm making that up, I'm not. (laughs) I could write a book about all the crazy horror stories I hear on a regular basis. And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I know that that vendor is spending so much money trying to get new customers. If they only knew that their SDR was so rude to take another phone call and not put, you know, not go on mute or not decline the phone call while they're in the middle of a demo or all the other things. But I wish I had time in the day to report all those things. I sadly don't. But I think just back to this, like I think asking each other is helpful. That doesn't mean that what works for one company is going to work for the other. It never means that. But you might get some helpful insights. Or you can say, hey, if you don't use them, do you know someone who does? And you know, hey, do you mind introducing me if you see them around? Because that can be helpful. You know, even if they're, like I said, not every solution is going to work the same for every company, but it can be helpful to know, hey, are they going to support me once I'm a customer? Are they going to continually innovate their product? Are they going to gaslight me? Are they going just finding those things out? And sometimes the only way you can is word of mouth. Also, I would say, be careful when you see different merchant names on companies' websites as customers. I've It's been pointed out to me more than a few times in the last six months or a year that some of the vendor companies are listing merchants as their customers that maybe only did a proof of concept with them for two months. And I know there has been some legal documentation going from some of the merchants and things like that, but just know. And then if you meet somebody, right, if, if a vendor that you're looking at says that they were, you know, that one of their clients is ABC company, maybe you look in the app and see if some from ABC company is attending MRC. And if they are, you send them a note in the app or LinkedIn and just say, Hey, I'm thinking about working with ABC company. Notice that your company is on their website. I'd love to ask you a few questions. Hopefully they'll say, yeah, we work with them, but just know you just can't, that's not vetted. You just can't rely on it. I don't know how many times in a day I yell out, we're supposed to be the good guys. You know, we can only solve so many problems. As far as for merchants, those of you getting notes from lots of solution providers, I know that you're getting like close to 300 or you will by the time it starts. Respond to what you can respond to the thoughtful notes or the ones that are personalized, the ones that you are interested in meeting with because their calendar will book up soon too. But at the same time, 
um, know that you just can't be expected to respond to all of them. And half of them are automated. You know, definitely if something catches your eye and you want to reply back, do it. And hopefully by having those guidelines, maybe it'll help solution providers step up their game a bit and send more personal notes next year. I also recommend um, setting aside at least two hours. Like when you're looking at your agenda and what you're going to do during the week, set aside at least two hours, whether it's during specific networking breaks or maybe there's just not a session that you really are excited about in that block of time. So I said two hours to go walk around the expo hall and have some conversations. If there are specific companies you want to meet, look them up. Oh, if there's specific companies you want to meet, then maybe reach out ahead of time and ask them if they have time for a private meeting. That way you can have a few more discussions about what you're looking for and what your issues are. Or you can just stop by the booth and talk to them there. Once you are there, it is easy to get overwhelmed. I I think it's helpful to remember what your goals are and what the order is. Because I often will compare the MRC to my wedding where I invited all of my favorite people and I just wanted to sit down and have a conversation with each one of them and find out how they were and do all the things and all of that. And by the end of the night, I was sitting there going, did I see my Aunt Marsha? Did I get to talk to Uncle Dave? What's going on? It's just a blur. So do the best you can and make choices accordingly. A lot of it happens congruently, right? You can't do everything. So I think just accepting that is helpful. Pace yourself. This is the mom in me. (laughs) Bring electrolyte tabs or packets. I personally like liquid IV. My husband likes LMNT. It's like the letters LMNT. Yeah. There's also noon. There's so many different kinds or Gatorade or whatever it is, but make sure you're up on electrolytes. We will be in the desert for God's sake. I always go to a nearby drugstore when I first get there to buy a couple of cases of water and some snacks for my room. And the number one piece of advice from people on LinkedIn, as well as from myself, is wear comfortable shoes. And often I will trade them out. So I'll wear one pair one day and another pair another day. So I'm not wearing the same ones every day. I have been at MRCs with major injuries. I broke my ankle at one internationally. Well, re-injured it. It had been broken several years before, but re-injured it. I had just been recovering from hip surgery and was working at the conference when I was on staff. So I am not exactly the best at taking my own advice, but I really just think that I know what it's like. And I usually end up losing my voice by like Wednesday, especially by the after party on Wednesday. That is probably the biggest one. It is the biggest one of the week. Even before that, I lose my voice, uh, which was kind of funny last year because we ended up in a private karaoke room and I was very hoarse. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing nobody really handed me the mic. If you're new and you don't know anyone, try to attend the roundtables. Like I said, I put in my notes that they're the first day. And like I said, they're on the last day, but you can still, you know, ask people that work for the MRC to introduce you to, hey, do you know of any other retailers or do you know of any other gaming companies or anything like that? Also look them up in the app, right? And say, hey, this is my first time and I'd love to meet with you. What are you doing at this network break or something like that? Generally, everyone is very kind and wants to help each other. It's the people at the end of the day that make me love this industry so much and want to do so much to support it. And I know it's the people that make people come back every year and that cause everyone to want to come back year over year. So I know it can be very scary and overwhelming, but don't feel intimidated and don't try not to have imposter syndrome. We all went once and it was our first time and we didn't know anyone. It can be a little bit overwhelming when you see people you know, kind of with their clicks or, you know, really excited to see each other. And you're like, I don't know anyone, even though a lot of, a lot of you are introverts. And I 
whether you believe it or not, I'm an equal parts. I'm an ambervert, I think is what they say, which is why often I will Irish goodbye at a dinner or one of the after parties early and go to bed and or actually go to my hotel room and I don't know, watch a reality show and eat junk food <laughs> um, or call up room service and then go to bed. So like I need it too. But try to, you know, summon your inner extrovert and introduce yourself to people. Certainly, I try to be approachable and feel free to reach out to me. I, or if you see me or as a, I happened a lot last year, oh, I recognize your voice as I'm talking in the hallway. I do joke that it can sometimes take me like an hour and a half to get to the bathroom because I get stopped, but I really love it. I'm still getting used to people asking for selfies or complimenting me, but it's very sweet and I do appreciate it. It just, I don't mind being the voice of the industry. It's just, I don't know, it's weird for me to be the face. I don't, especially in my day-to-day life, I'm not a big deal. So I don't, I don't know. I don't take myself seriously, but I sure love what I do. And I really am grateful that, you know, a lot of you do too. And that means the world to me, uh, to meet you. And I've made some great friends that way. Just saying, Hey, I listened to the podcast and then we talk and now we're pretty good friends throughout the year. And then if you're a veteran, I get it. You get to see some of your favorite people in the world. I do too. And a few of them don't live in the U S and so you're really extra excited, but Look for the newbies, right? Invite them along, help them feel included and gain a new contact or friend. You'll gain that new contact and friend too, right? And help them out. Certainly if they're rude or something like that, maybe that's not the right fit for you, but almost always. um, And I just love it when I see people that I know being like, hey, this is so-and-so, this is their first time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, hi. And I think we're all like that. Try to feel comfortable. A little bit more merchant advice, get the most out of the sessions you attend. I really like to take notes. That's how I remember things. Other people will record them in their notes app or talk to text or whatever uh, helps you remember. Also, if you really enjoy a particular speaker, I recommend connecting with them on LinkedIn if you aren't already and maybe consider sending them a note that they did a good job and what stood out. All of these speakers are volunteers. If they're speaking on behalf of a solution provider, that's part of their job. And some of them do it really well. And it's great to give them a compliment. For merchants, they don't always speak all the time. And speaking as somebody who had her first presentation there and was so nervous that they snuck in my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, to sit in the front row so I could talk to him about chargebacks for 45 minutes because I didn't think anyone was going to come to my session because it was the hangover slot is what they called it. It was the Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. after St. Patrick's Day. So the Tuesday before had been St. Patrick's Day. So they said, don't worry, we won't have a lot of people. And there were a lot of people I was talking about chargebacks chargebacks, you know, reducing them and doing root cause and analytics, which obviously has become part of my business for years, but I was terrified. It feels good to have someone say, Hey, this really, you know, this point that you made was really helpful, or I really appreciated it. Also, I recommend writing down the names of the sessions and the speakers that you really enjoyed to include in the post-conference survey. That helps the conference committee know who to ask back. Obviously, if there's, you know, negative feedback, if anyone made you feel uncomfortable or that maybe the topic wasn't the same as what was on the agenda or whatever the case may be, constructive feedback is also very helpful. But I think it's great to say, hey, this speaker did a really good job. They used to do individual session surveys. I don't think that's possible anymore, but like we used to have paper and put it all out between each session and ask people to fill it out. But because that doesn't really happen anymore, individual speakers don't get feedback and that can be really helpful or at least make their day. (laughs) So like I said, the expo hall can be really overwhelming, especially if it's your first time attending. Try to go with a friend or a new friend. 
or a colleague. Even if you're not actively shopping or have budget, it's good to know what technology and capabilities exist because you don't know what issues are going to come up in the next year and or what priorities are going to change, especially right now with just the uncertainty of the economy. You might all of a sudden have a leader say, hey, we need to go to this, this in this country. And you have to go, oh, who processes those kind of payments? Who gets them out of the country the fastest? Who, you know, has the best rates and the best authorization rates and approvals and, you know, all that. Oh, I met this PSP at MRC and I'll reach out to them. Like you just never know. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology. And one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. I do think it's good to, you know, let a salesperson know if you're having a conversation and learning that, you know, you don't have a budget or a need right now, but you wanted to learn for down the line. Hopefully they'll respect your boundary and just provide minimal contact throughout the year just to check in. I know a few people who do that almost as a test, like, okay, if you can respect my boundaries and you just, you know, check in here and there every other month, every quarter, send me an article that, you know, you think I might enjoy, whether it's from your blog or not. I will remember you and I'll appreciate that. If all of a sudden you're blowing up my phone and you're calling everyone on my team, that might not be a company that I want to work with. And I'm saying that on behalf of merchants. Um, I hear this fairly often. I mentioned this a minute ago, but do be aware of wolves in sheep's clothing. I really wish this wasn't the case, but especially in the last several years for various reasons, not all companies are the same. A fraud tool is not a fraud tool. I think that is one of the biggest myths, if not the biggest myth about our industry is, oh, they're all the same. They'll all have the same results. They'll all do the same thing. So I just need to pick one, pick who the nicest person is or whatever. 
it's not the case. Some of them will work better for your business. Others won't work for other businesses and vice versa. Some are extremely expensive and you don't need it based on your issues. Others, you may need that because of the type of business you have and the type of risks you have. But there is not a single company. Well, there are very few companies that are one size fits all or that can fit whatever size. Uh, Most of them will not be the same, but a lot of them will try to say that their product is good for everyone. Some of the signs that veterans have said to kind of watch out for as far as looking for those wolves in sheep's clothing and maybe the people who may not have a product that has been innovative as much or may have lost a significant number of customers in the last year or two. Here are a couple of the warning signs. So they said pushy. They're all about what you can do for them. They're not asking you anything. Obviously, they shouldn't be asking you anything too deep, you know, about your issues because you haven't signed an NDA, but they're not taking the time to get to know you and ask you what you need and what type of product you are looking for or what your, you know, but some of your issues are your use cases. They're just very pushy. Some people call it commission breath. And I don't think there's a mint for that. If there is, that'd be funny. Not that I'm going to have any free time before MRC, but you know, we can turn some Altoids into with some good Photoshop commission breath mints, but I don't think it'll work. So <laughs> one of the biggest warning signs and things that really concern veteran fraud leaders is when sales reps start quoting percentages that they can increase X by or decrease Y by without knowing anything about what you do now or what your rates are or anything else. That is like a huge warning sign for veterans because they feel like solution providers should know that every company is nuanced and sometimes they some merchants will get offended because they're like, if you think that there's 80% opportunity in my business, then you're basically saying that I'm not doing a good job. And some of them can be offended by that. Also, another sign is just that they might only speak in buzzwords. I know that not every salesperson can know everything about fraud, but you can really tell the ones who genuinely try to learn versus the ones that just try to learn the big words and say the right things. And oftentimes they say the same things as every other company. And you're like, But one of you is a chargeback company and the other one of you is a core fraud technology and the other one is data verification, but you're all saying that you can reduce my chargebacks. Like what? It gets very confusing. Like I said, I mean, unfortunately, I wish this wasn't true, but not all products and services at any conference are liked by all their customers. And just because they have customers doesn't mean that the people chose them or that or the people currently there chose them or that they aren't you know, waiting out a contract or that they aren't really unhappy and that they're talking to other solution providers. So like I said, make sure that you ask around to your merchant peers to talk with at least three people who have or are using the company before you sign with them. I mean, obviously that can be after MRC as well, but at or after MRC, but I think that's super helpful. And you can find out, you know, from their website, you can ask the vendor. I know that you might think that if you ask them for references, they'll only introduce you to merchants that will say good things, but you'd be surprised how many times somebody has said that they called someone because their vendors introduced them to this person for a reference. And that merchant says, actually, I'm having really big issues with this and they're really not taking care of it. And we're looking for someone else. So that can be, you know, if you don't know anyone off the top of your head that uses a certain product that you're thinking about, ask your solution provider and, you know, see how those conversations go. All right, merchants, I am almost done. I think the biggest thing is just participate in as much as you can, but take breaks when you need to, whether you're recovering from the day before or night before, or to rest up for the next day, four to five days in Vegas with just so much sensory overload is a marathon, not a sprint. 
like I said, I'll be sharing at the benchmarking survey on Tuesday. Um, I do have a couple of invites left, but I think it's getting pretty close to full. I think you can also reach out to Forder. I don't know if they have it on their website or not, but I know that they have 50 spots and I've had a few people ask me for them and I know they're reaching out to you. So um, I'll also stop by the spec booth during some of the happy hours and other times throughout the event. If I'm there, please come and say hi. And a lot of you have asked to meet up or if I'm hosting another merchant and fintech only fraudology meetup this year, like I did last year, it's only one and a half weeks away and that's still TBD. It's, I didn't get started on it fast enough. I think I have a good time and some ideas of places, but I'm very selective about the companies that I work with to sponsor the event, um, aka pay for the food and alcohol. And it just hasn't worked out with the ones I've talked to. I may just be doing it myself, but uh, we'll, you know, so I don't know, it might just be an ice cream party somewhere in the middle of the road. I'm kidding, <laughs> like on the strip or something, but um, I really want to, I love having everyone in one place. We had so much fun at the event last year where everyone got to talk to each other and, you know, it was 90% merchants and fintechs and it was just it was really fun. I know there were some year-long friendships made out of that night. So definitely exciting. Okay. I'm going to read the advice from the veterans and then I'm going to go to merch vendors really quick. I knew this was going to be long. I apologize. I was thinking, oh, I'll make this really short. I think every time I think that it's, no, it's going to be closer to an hour. I don't know. I have a hard time because I think if you're a fraud fighter, you understand that we think that all the details matter and that they're all critically important. So it's really hard to cut things out. One of my favorite MRC veterans shared this. He said, if it's your first time, focus on just taking it all in and meeting some really cool people. Prioritize roundtables when you can, as they are naturally easier to network in and after. The first year can be overwhelming as MRC is unlike most conferences. So I advise my folks on their first trip to just focus on being a sponge and try to meet a couple of new people per day. But mostly, most importantly, everyone per my experience is friendly and receptive to random conversations. And this guy is especially good at random conversations. We just had a call the other day and it was going to be 30 minutes. I think it was 45. And I was like, oh shoot, I have to go, but we could talk for hours, but I'll see you in Vegas like everyone else. <laughs> this came from a solution provider, but one who really earnestly tries to be a fraud fighter and learn and help people and really comes at it from a place of wanting to help rather than just sell and get commission or whatever that looks like. His first tip is spend time on the expo floor, open mindset. Every day you'll get hit up by hundreds of companies wanting to tell you that they're a great thing. This is your time to invest in learning more about them. Keep in mind that these companies at the show can spend over a million dollars on this event and even a small booth is at least a hundred thousand dollar investment just to get the opportunity to get two minutes with you so to see if it's relevant. I would say that those numbers are probably also including registration and travel and extras and swag and everything else that's not just what they're paying to be there but it is quite expensive and they are the reason why the event is able to be put on through sponsorships and booths so even though it might feel frustrating I think it's a good point that they are subsidizing a lot of the registration and often providing good swag or fun games at their booth I know of a few of the attractions at Booth this year, and I think it'll be lots of fun. Here's another suggestion that he provided. Come with two to three challenges you are looking to learn about, how companies are solving. Ask your peers, ask the vendors. This is your time to learn and network. And then he said, your next big idea is at MRC. This is the biggest show in our space and industry. You need to find it by attending talks, networking, and speaking to the vendors who are present. All right, I think that they're... There was one more, but I forgot where it was. Um, oh, I think I already included it in here. 
So that was just a couple. I know that there are a couple other ones I have, but I think we included them. So I'm going to move quickly to vendors. And, you know, I tried to keep it short. I obviously I've done a couple of merchants are from Mars vendors are from Venus episodes, as well as another one. Can't remember what the title was, but it was also about that. And I think that's those are really good resources for sure. I have been working with a few select providers recently, just over the last few months on training and presentations on better understanding fraud fighters how they think, what they care about, how to sell to them in the ways that they want you to sell to them because they're actually, they do want to learn just maybe not in the exact methods that you're, that work in every other tech SaaS. Oh, okay. Definitely not the other methods that work in any other tech SaaS, um, you know, software as a service company. And oftentimes a lot of those sales books and podcasts that you're listening to are actually teaching you a social engineering, which we are experts at identifying and often will just inherently think of it as a threat because we see it as manipulation. So it's very definitely a very different breed. I actually just recently spoke at a sales kickoff event for a vendor and the title of my session, How to Lose a Merchant in 10 Ways. I will say that I focused more on the negative than the positive. So I will am recording later this week, a special podcast episode just for them that will also translate so they can read the transcript if they want instead of listening where I'll talk about the do's per each title, right? So SDRs are going to have a different approach than salespeople and salespeople are a different approach than VP of sales and et cetera, et cetera, or account managers, et cetera. So I was truly hoping to be able to offer some of this to a group of vendors in a live online trading course prior to Vegas, but this year is moving way too quickly and there's just one of me. So I do have a handful of enterprise merchants who have also offered to speak and contribute to the overall training and or a module or two. So I'm hoping to have that at launch in Q2 to get started. Honestly, I like hadn't really thought about this until so many merchants have asked me, especially since last year at MRC, like, Carice, who is training these people how to sell to us? Like, this is ridiculous. I'm having to tell them this doesn't work or I'm having to educate or it's just annoying. You know, do you want me to help them? Yes, please. Because they're like, chances are they have a technology that we need, but we just can't get past it because they're just pressuring us and we see them as a threat. So anyway, that's coming. Uh, so keep an eye out on my LinkedIn for that. But specific to MRC, my first piece of advice to solution providers, especially those of you in sales, and I'm sorry, but there's a reason for this. Slow down and chill out. I know that you're extra stressed this year, but those of us in fraud pick up on the most subtle details. So if you're desperate, they may wonder why. Is it because there's a bad product? Is it because nobody else wants it? And so you're being really extra pushy because you're desperate and you know, you're, quote, you're thinking about your quota and all that. And how could you not? But when you chill out, when you are a human, when you offer help, versus just expecting to sell and pitch. That's actually where the magic happens. That's actually where relationships form. And even if a merchant, you know, can't onboard your product now, if they really feel like it's a good product and you are a good person that they would want to recommend to their friends, a lot of them ask each other, hey, who should I talk to about this? Or who should I talk to about that? And if they have a good relationship with you, oftentimes they will recommend you and they'll say, hey, I'll give you an intro. Or also the average fraud fighter, especially in leadership roles, changes jobs every two and a half to three years. So maybe they don't have a need for your product now, but they will in a couple years. So slow down and chill out. I know it's hard. I know it's stressful. I know that you're low on sleep, but that's my biggest advice. The other is just to be intentional and personal in your outreach before the event, as well as obviously in, during the event. Remember that the average merchant fraud leader receives over 300 emails before the event. 
they're not paid to respond. So give them something worth responding to. If you're sending auto emails, they're going to match the effort. Last year, I went to a Katy Perry concert with a merchant uh, two nights before MRC started, which was so fun. And she opened up her inbox and was like, oh my gosh, this one sales rep has written me 25 times in the last two weeks. Like that just added 24 more emails to my inbox than I needed. So think about that, right? Like everyone's reaching out to them. You are not the only one. And if they stop by your booth and you've written them a ton of messages, please do not say something passive aggressive about, oh, were you ignoring me or, oh, nice to see you. I, I have heard that so many times. It's just like such a put off, like just understand that they're busy and it's not personal and start the conversation. You don't have to mention that you tried to email them 37 times in the last three weeks. It's probably not going to help you anyway. You also just have no idea. Like when you're meeting people at the conference, you know, that you've reached out to all those times, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know how busy they are, you know, or if they've had to lay off half their team. There are a lot of merchants this year who are beyond stressed. Their number one challenge is right now, um, kind of a informal survey that I ran a couple months ago was that they're being expected to do more with less. So try to have some empathy there, right? And maybe your product can help them with that. Maybe it can't, but if you are kind and helpful, they will see that and that will make a difference. Um, if a merchant stops by your booth, ask them if they're looking, you know, to solve or improve a specific use case. Don't assume that you know what they need. I think that happens too often, especially for the people that just know the buzzwords. They're like, okay, everyone is here to solve this one problem or everyone cares about this. Not always the case. So listen, ask an open-ended question. I don't ask very detailed questions that you are expecting them to provide proprietary information without an NDA. They work for very large companies. They never want to deal with their legal team. Try to respect that boundary too, but just saying, Hey, like what issues are you looking to solve? Is there something that you're you know, looking to improve? Are you looking to improve the customer experience? Are you looking to grow your customer base? Are you looking to stop ATOs? Like what's that pain point? Try not to ask what keeps you up at night because everybody does that and it gets obnoxious. That reminds me of one of my friends and I used to have a buzzword like drinking game in our head. We didn't actually drink every time we heard the, these words at MRC because we would have been blackout by like 10 in the morning. But it used to be that everyone would say, you know, there's no silver bullet, but it was just constantly, you know, there's no silver bullet, but our company's very close. Uh, so one year it was silver bullet. Another year it was best in class machine learning. You know, maybe for people that are walking around booths, you can start noticing the same buzzwords and think, okay, I just took a shot in my head. I just took another shot in my head. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. It was fun for us. It was like, hey, how many shots did you take? It's 72. <laughs> Not actually, like I said, that's yeah, it's more just in your head. It makes it more fun than annoying. So vendors, be concise in explaining your company and explain where it lives, what type of product or service it is. Not we do this or we, you know, not the outcome that you think it provides, but where you live in, in the risk platform, right? What category of product are you? Because when merchants are listening to you explain your product, all they're trying to do is put you in a box. Are you an ID verification vendor? Are you a data verification? Are you offering two-factor authentication or call center biometrics or behavior biometrics or, you know, all of that? And if, can it help them put you in a box so they don't put you in the wrong box? There's been a couple of companies where I've had to finally say, okay, who do you consider your number one competitors? Because I cannot understand what you do. Like you just said a whole bunch of words. I don't know what that means. Where in the process do I put you? What problems do you solve? Why would I need you? 
that's what I need to know at first to just know if it's worth continuing the conversation after the event because nobody wants to waste your time either. Be kind. Like I said, if someone just stops by and wants your swag, don't make passive aggressive comments. Like instead, maybe say when you're ready to learn about how we identify blah, 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 or how we fix blah, blah, blah. Look at your new water bottle. That's way better than enjoy the water bottle. Uh, Yes, these all have happened. Respect boundaries, right? Like if somebody says contact me in Q2, they're not saying go over my head to someone else in the company next week. This happened a few times too. And that's a good way to burn a bridge. There was a merchant recently that, you know, told a vendor who reached out to them in Q4 and they're a retailer and their business is extremely, that's their number one. I mean, they do probably over over 30 or 40% of their annual business just in the last two months of the year. So the fraud manager said, hey, I can't think about it right now. My contract is up in Q3 of next year. I am interested in what you guys are providing because I've talked to some of my peers and they really like some of the products. So contact me in Q2. I think the sales rep was stressed out that it was Q4. And so they kind of heard that they kind of had a chance maybe. So they reached out to someone else in another department in a higher role and they burned that bridge. And that merchant's now like, God, I think that they actually had a really good product, but I just... If that's okay, I don't know what they're going to do to me when I'm a customer if they can't respect my boundaries now. Try not to stare at badges, especially because we there now are 30 to 40% women in the industry. It can be a little uncomfortable. I understand you're trying to see who are you? Do I need to talk to you? Do I want to talk to you, et cetera? But just introduce yourself. Try not to look at the badges all the time. It can be a little awkward. And here's another fun one. If there's a group of people and they're all from the same company, Don't assume who the decision maker is. Not last year, but the event before COVID, there was a fraud leader who's been in the industry for a long time, and they had recently changed jobs to a very large company that owns multiple brands. We have all heard of it many times and probably shopped at, you know, a couple of their stores or different types of, yeah, it's hard to explain or been on their websites. So she took her group around. A lot of them had never been to MRC before. And there was an older gentleman on her team. There was a younger guy on her team. There was a woman in her 30s on her team. I don't know. It was a group of people. There were four or five of them. And several sales reps started talking to the older gentleman and completely ignoring everyone else in the group, especially the decision maker, even though the decision maker introduced themselves first and said their title. She felt like maybe the sales rep wasn't even listening to her. I mean, and those are often unconscious biases, but we notice them, right? If she said it was a good way to narrow down the field of who I'm going to talk to next, because they can't respect me and, and make eye contact with me, or at least make eye contact with my entire team and not just assume that this person who actually just started on my team not that long ago, he's a junior analyst, that he runs the team. Um, So those are things that you just never know, right? And we, like I said, we notice the details. I also really recommend that vendors attend sessions, not just to wait in line for the speakers or to rush to merchants who asked a question to say, hey, here's my business card. We can solve that problem. Actually, please don't do either one of those things. It's really obnoxious. Maybe as my daughter would say, take a picture with your memory camera of the person who asked the question or the speaker. And then at the next networking event, go up and introduce yourself and say, hey, I really liked your question. It was really thoughtful. I wonder if there's anything we could help you with. Maybe I can answer some questions that would help you, you know, solve this problem about payments in Africa or whatever the problem is. But the real reason I think you should attend sessions is to learn. If you want to succeed and or stay in this industry, the best people in sales have learned the industry and had a genuine curiosity about it. 
those are the ones that merchants call just to ask for advice when they don't know, when they have a question about what your specialty is. They're the ones that merchants get excited about seeing at the next conference. They're the ones who merchants think of when their friends ask them who they should talk to. So learning, I mean, you certainly are never going to learn everything that people with on-the-job training have, but it's important to learn. And maybe, you know, the next time you're talking to someone say, hey, I learned this in a session. Is this something you guys have an issue with? Or how does that not apply to you? Being curious is going to go a long way. Now, being inquisitive and almost like interrogational won't go very far, but being curious, we're all curious. We all want to learn every day. That's why we love this industry. One of the reasons the other is people. And there's a couple others. Like I said, be a regular person, try not to have commission breath. It'd be nice if there was a breath mint for that, but there isn't, but we can definitely see it a mile away. And those who focus on meeting and getting to know the people you know, who are there are the ones who will get their emails responded to the most in the weeks after, right? The ones who make a personal connection, that's who the merchant's going to remember. And when they come back to a whole bunch of fires that they have to put out and everything else, and a couple of weeks later you reach out, they'll be happy to hear from you. And maybe, you know, you guys can have another meeting or depending on the size of their company, you can fly up and take them out to dinner, but definitely don't reach out the week after unless anyone asks you to just give everyone a break for at least the first week after the conference. Maybe two, if you're feeling generous, you won't lose your opportunity because you didn't reach out in two weeks. In fact, they'll probably appreciate that you gave them some time to try to catch up because again, I mean, fraud leaders are under a tremendous amount of stress right now. For those of you who asked for this episode and those of you who didn't, I hope this was helpful. I really provided quite a bit of a brain dump. Like I said, those of us in fraud writing feel like the details are super important. If you felt like maybe I could have done a higher level list, like let me know next week when we're, I guess a week and a half uh, when we're all there. Cause I, I want to learn too, right? I want to provide content that you guys want to listen to and certainly don't want you to feel like I'm babbling all the time. But I also uh, really hope it's helpful, especially for those of you who haven't been yet and are nervous about it or just don't know what to expect, honestly. And I know I'm biased. You know, this industry is full of some of the best people I know. And most of us care deeply and have a strong sense of justice and are curious and want to learn and want to get to know people. So if you enter into the event with that attitude, I think it will go a long way and you'll really enjoy it. All right, guys, that's it for me to, for today. I have a pretty exciting guest on Tuesday that I'm looking forward to you listening to. If you didn't hear this past Tuesday's episode with Nate at Spectrust or, or Spec, sorry, they used to be Spectrust. I highly recommend it. And don't forget to stop by their booth and say fraudology so you can get a premium swag item. I told my husband what it was, and it's actually something that they sent to us last summer when they rebranded. And he was like, could I go stop by their booth and say fraudology? Because I want another one. Uh, he uses it almost every day. So I was like, no, we're not paying for registration for you just for that. <laughs> and yes, 14 years ago, they snuck you into, well, 13 years ago, they snuck you into my session to hear me talk about chargebacks. But I think those days are over. I don't think anyone's going to believe me <laughs> if I say I need that now. So all right, guys, I am really looking forward to seeing everyone. Lord knows there is so much for me to do between now and then, but I'm sure you really understand. But once we're there, it will be so good to see everyone and I will talk to you soon. Thank you 
again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.